Hello, Musai Collective. I'm your host, Lindsay Cabrera, and welcome back to this week's episode. The full harvest moon rises this Saturday, September 10th. So I hope you're harnessing this creative energy that's coming through. If you enjoy listening to my podcast, I'd love if you could leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts to help us move up the charts. On today's episode, you'll be meeting DJ and producer Carrie, whose rising reputation has seen her play all around the world. Recent gigs at Amnesia Terrace, Pikes Ibiza, and a sold-out show at Badaboom Paris, Carrie has carved out her distinctive reputation by moving from deep and moody to atmospheric grooves via heavyweight peak time house to psychotropic tech abstractions. Carrie incorporates meditation and wellness into her own music making and has given numerous talks on music production, creativity, mental and physical health at events such as Amsterdam Dance Event, Native Instruments, Fabric, and more. Today, we discuss Carrie's health and wellness journey, the medicine wheel, Tantra, her own music production masterclass called Find Your Own Sound, and so much more. This musical Musai is an artist to watch, and you can follow her on Instagram at Carrie Music, C-E-R-I Music. I hope you enjoy this episode, and here's Carrie on Musai Collective. Hello, Carrie. Welcome to Musai Collective Podcast. How are you doing over there today in London? Hi, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really good. Thank you. Nice to finally catch up with you. (laughs) Yes, it's been such a busy summer and I see that you've been bopping around and, you know, connecting with friends that we have in common, which is really cool as well. And actually for everyone listening, I think, yeah, I think I came on your radar when I had interviewed Kim Booth from Cosmic Pineapple and I saw you playing at some of her Cosmic Pineapple events and I was like, who is this? And then I think I reached out to you. And so it's been really nice, you know, getting to know you here. So <laughs> I'm excited to chat with you. And At Kim's house when she was recording the interview for you in Ibiza. Yeah. Oh, see, there you go. And I had no idea. <laughs> Okay, so I'm really excited to have you here today and get into your story and share some of your inspirations. So you've been a DJ and producer for some years now, and can you tell us about your origin story and where it all began for you in the music industry? When did it click that I wanted to do this professionally? Well, I suppose it was kind of two things. Obviously, growing up in the south of London, and then I went to university in Southampton. I actually wanted to be a dancer, so I I was already very musical and I love dance music. And when I was at uni, there was a really, really great scene in Southampton at the time. And there was like these infamous boat parties and the Rhino Club was like this tiny little club, but it had all the best DJs in the world come and play there. And it was really, really inspiring. So I kind of started DJing kind of more as like a hobby. And then uh, my last day of university, I flew to Ibiza with a one-way ticket and 50 pounds in my bank. (laughs) Yeah, just like stayed for the whole summer and I remember being at I did like the We Love Space DC 10 cocoon kind of rolling through that everybody used to do in those days like Sunday to Tuesday (laughs) but it was amazing because it was just like it was just proper acid house vibes everybody was so friendly and it was just like such a welcoming place and it was Ricardo Villalobos, Luciano, Richard Horton and Sven Vez playing back to back a long time. That's a nice one. (laughs) to them and like just being like I was probably one of those really annoying people that like stands in front of the DJ with like <laughs> <laughs> and I remember like watching them and hearing them just being like oh my god like this is I just felt like amazed by it and I was like wow I'd really like to actually start doing this a bit more 
And then I kind of went back for my B-side, got a proper job and decided I wanted to go traveling. So I saved up to go traveling. And I also applied to do a master's in music production because I wanted to start learning how to make my own music as well. And I did a, I did a little bit of production before I went traveling, but when I went traveling, I didn't do any. And then when I came back, I just forgotten it all basically. So then when I started the master's, it was almost like I had to relearn everything. And I did a part-time master's for two years. And the first year I was the worst in the class. Like I was just finding it so hard because technically they shouldn't have let me on the course because my first degree wasn't in music. Mm. But I just said to them, look, I'm a DJ. I love music. I've already been making music. Here's my stuff. Like, please just consider me for the course. And they did actually let me on. So I had to kind of prove I had enough real world experience that was an equivalent to a degree, but it probably actually wasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so I found the first year quite challenging. I was in their, in their studios like every night till early hours of the morning. And then by the second year, I really found my flow and really, really enjoyed it and made my first EP as part of my final project and did a, did a dissertation on the history of dance music, the history of house and techno. And yeah, then I kind of started getting some gigs, got my like my first paid gig and I was really excited. And then it kind of just kind of grew from there, really. Nice. Yeah. I mean, it's all connected, your your history. And, you know, when you look back at these little small moments when you're just on the dance floor, didn't realize it, but you're just like setting the tone for the rest of your career and, yeah. you know, socializing, networking, being immersed in the lifestyle of dance music especially being yeah. at Pisa. <laughs> yeah, London and the UK at that time, like, I was like going up to Manchester and Leeds and London and Fabric and the end and all these places and loving it. And it was interesting because a lot of my friends at the time were, weren't really into dance music. And I was like, oh my God, what's this track? Who made it? I need to find out. And they were like, what? Like, and I was like, why don't you care about this? Like, do you know what I mean? And it was like, I became this kind of train spotter of the track. <laughs> Because they're not there, they're there for the party, but you're there on a different level because you're connecting, really connecting with the music and yep. you want to play the music. You want to know. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, this track would go really well after this track. So it kind of even started before it started. It was just like in my head. <laughs> and I do this because I'm doing it anyway in my head, you know, and I'm kind of going, oh, this track would go really well with that track. And it kind of happened like that, really. So organically. Yeah, it, just, it just felt like a really natural thing that I was drawn to doing. Um, and like I said, I kind of was, I was really into dancing when I was younger. So it, that's kind of very musical and rhythmic as well. So yeah, it just kind of grew from there. So you've actually just come back from playing in Ibiza, Berlin, Paris and London. So how were those gigs for you and what's next? Yeah, it was really, really amazing. Actually, last month I played at Amnesia and the Terrace for the first time in Ibiza. And that was actually the place where I had that realization with the Sven and the Ricardo and the Luciano and the Richard Horton back yes. in the day. In that same room that first inspired me to start DJing was like amazing. It came full circle. Yeah. And then <laughs> I done Santa, I did Pikes for Cosmic and Kim, and I've done a few other nights at Pikes. And I did Berlin and I did Amsterdam. Oh, I did Amsterdam with Shea Damier, actually, who I love. And I didn't know this, but he actually came early to listen to my set. And I didn't know he was there doing that. And he came on after me and then he was like, oh my God, I love just that. Like, do you want to play with me in Paris? So then I went to Paris and I warmed up for him in Paris as well, which was great. I think I got to do like a four hour set before him. Wow. And 
I just assumed like everyone would be there to see Shay and like no one would be there early, but literally within half an hour of the club opening, it was full. Oh, amazing. So it was a really nice yeah. warm up. <laughs> and uh, you know, like at the beginning of the night, everyone's kind of standing around the edges, kind of like hovering for a little bit. And then I played one of my tracks and suddenly everyone went on the dance floor. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, and then I could like see the guy shazamming it in the corner and I was like <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah nice um yeah and I'm gonna hopefully do some more stuff with him I can't announce yet but look out for that as well because that's some really exciting stuff is going to be happening soon with him and then I did London and now I'm in London just for a month to use the studio and get some tracks finished and work on some music catch up with friends so I actually live in Ibiza now but I come back to London quite regularly. I had a music studio in London before the C word hit. And then I decided to move to Ibiza during that time. So I just left my equipment in the studio. My friend, my really good friend, Greg, took over the studio. And I said, look, you just have my, you have my equipment. When I come back, let me use the studio. So that's the deal we have. And he's, he's like an entrepreneur. He has his fingers in so many different pies. So it's often like I get some time in there as well. So yes. (laughs) I found a few studios I can use in Ibiza as well, which is good. And yeah, so I feel like, you know, it's always been a dream of mine. I always thought it would be when I retired, actually, that I would live in Ibiza. But then it just kind of happened a bit earlier. There you go. <laughs> cool. Okay, so something I want to talk about is mental health and addiction, which is a huge topic across the dance music industry. And it's something which the scene has been talking about more and trying to, you know, normalize discussing this openly. Um, And I've seen, you know, some mental health awareness campaigns and retreats and conversations coming from, you know, the bigger organizations, you know, like ADE, the Amsterdam Dance Event, or IMS Ibiza, which is the International Music Summit, having these conversations and supporting each other. You've actually been on your own journey with this, along with healing your mental wellness. So how's that been for you coming out the other side when you were once there with the constant parties and late nights out and the alcohol and et cetera. But, you know, what advice do you have for someone who's struggling with addiction and mental wellness in this industry? There's a lot to say, but yeah, I did. A t- I actually did a talk for AD a few years ago on like creativity. And I, I talked about how for me personally, for me, like meditation is the key to creativity because a lot of music is actually made on drugs. Why is music made on drugs? Because it frees your mind and it gets you in the zone and it kind of you lose your worries, you know? But you can achieve that just from doing a meditation. You don't need to do the drugs to do that, but a lot of people don't realize that. Um, and, you know, a lot of mu- good music has been made on drugs, but I truly believe you can get to those states. And I've experienced, I've actually experienced hallucinogenic states from breath work. And I've gotten to places like that through meditation. So... I mean, my journey was actually quite different to a lot of people. I've probably had probably three journeys now that are very, very important. So when I was younger, I I think I definitely had a lot of mental health issues. I had a negative thinking patterns and I was in an abusive relationship and like a lot of shit hit the fan when I was quite young, sort of like late teens, early 20s. That triggered me to be like, okay, I do not want this to be my life anymore. You know, I found books like The Power of Now. I had counseling. I did a lot of work on myself. And, you know, I I kind of had this moment of like, 
I don't know if you call it like a spiritual awakening, whatever you want to call it, but I had this moment where I had this realization of this new level of awareness where I was like, oh my God, I'm now aware of these thoughts that I'm having and they're not helpful. So it was about changing that. So that was kind of in my early 20s and I'm so glad that happened because it really made me learn my own mind, know myself. I started doing yoga. I was like, I love hot yoga. I was doing hot yoga and meditation. And luckily at the time, the guy I was doing hot yoga with, he wasn't like a typical hot yoga teacher who would kind of make it quite boot campy. He was very spiritual. He's like an Indian guy. He made it more about being like a moving meditation and things as well as the body, which I think a lot of hot yogas are actually missing. It's kind of more like, Ah, you can't do this. You know, da, 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 da. yeah, like yeah. a boot camp. It's not supposed to be boot camp. <laughs> the teachers had kind of made it into that, but actually, at the true essence, that isn't yoga for me personally. So that was very, very instrumental. So then, I was feeling pretty good, to be honest. I was like, wicked. You know, I was so grateful for life. My DJ career started picking up. I was doing all these amazing gigs. I moved to this amazing house. Well, I thought it was an amazing house. I moved to this house in London. I got my music studio and I was like, everything, all my dreams were like coming true. And I was literally, I remember walking down the street just thinking, oh my God, I'm so grateful for life. I'm so happy. Like everything I wanted is happening. Oh my God, this is amazing. But then I just started feeling really, really shit. And this is something I think that's very, very important, which I actually think a lot of the current trend on mental health awareness is missing which is that, you know, mental health and physical health come hand in hand. Mental health affects physical health. Physical health affects mental health. And I think a lot of the conversations that are being had around it at the moment are kind of just focused on the mental side of it. And yes, yes, that is very, very important. But you also have to think about the physical side too. So where my story is quite different from the average person, like the first story that I just told you about was very much focused on mindset and mental health and, you know, becoming aware of, that kind of stuff, which I suppose had to happen for me to distinguish the difference of what happened next. So as I said, I moved into this house, playing around the world, had this gig in Mexico, like my first gig in Mexico, and I was like so excited. And then over like maybe, I don't know, six month, two year period, I was just feeling worse and worse and worse and worse. And it got to the point where I couldn't even walk down the street for five minutes without having to sit down. And I was like, this is not normal for somebody of my age. I was like mid-20s, whatever. And I was just like, this is this is not normal. Like, yeah. I cannot, I cannot go on like this. And I went to the doctors, they're like, oh, you're just stressed. Oh, you're depressed. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I've changed my mindset once before. I can do it again. And I was like, I'll do more yoga, I'll do more meditation, I'll eat healthily. I gave up drinking. You know, I did all the things. I was already kind of gluten-free, but I went really, really healthy. You know, I, I was doing everything but I was getting worse. And then I kind of was like, hang on a minute. I don't think this is in my mind. I think this is in my body. But actually having not gone through the previous mental health stuff that I did, I wouldn't have been able to know my own body and mind well enough to distinguish the difference. Do you see right. what I mean? Yeah. Because when you're, a meditative, when you're meditating, you feel, you do your body scanning, you're feeling through your body. So that's something you probably are, you feel like, no, there's something yep. deep down happening. <laughs> Like I can feel when my heart's blocked. I can feel when my brain's foggy. I can, you know, and I can feel, is this coming from a negative pattern in my head or is this coming from something wrong with me physically? You know, like if you have the flu, you often feel shit when you have the flu. Yeah. So 
at a basic level, the flu is making your body feel bad because it noticed it needs to rest so that you can feel better. So some people would theorize it's a level deeper and there's something in your mind making you have the flu. And it's like, there's all these different theories. But at that time, I knew intuitively there was something in my body that was affecting how I felt physically and mentally. Yet all the doctors I was seeing were saying to me, it's in your head, you're stressed, you're depressed. So I was like, questioning my own sanity I was trying to do all these things and nothing was working and I was so alone at that time because I had I couldn't explain it to anyone because I was like I can't even understand what this is so how am I supposed to try and get help or explain to somebody else what this is when the people that are trying to help me are telling me it's all in my head and basically accusing me of being mental so it was a really really hard time and eventually after waiting six months to see a specialist on the NHS in the UK who you know as much as we're lucky to have that service they're overworked they're underpaid they don't have enough training especially in chronic illness and long-term conditions so it wasn't actually very helpful during that time luckily somebody suggested to me to see a functional doctor or a naturopath which I'd never even heard of before now I'm obsessed with it and I've been researching it for many, many years. And I think, you know, if I wasn't a DJ, I would probably train to be a functional doctor because that's how much I believe in it. So, but it takes a long time as well. It does, it does. (laughs) So yeah, I think I'll just stick to DJing for now and I can help, I can help, you know, you actually come to me with advice about this. I just say, see a functional doctor. Like that's what you need to do as well as some other things. But anyway, so I went to see a functional doctor, naturopath, and I had some tests done and I realized The house that I was living in, and I didn't find this out until after I'd lived in the house for four years, by the way. So I'd been living in this house for four years, not realizing that it was full of black mold. And I was basically being poisoned by the house that I was living in. And the sicker and sicker I was feeling, the more I was staying at home in bed in the environment that was making me sick. But I didn't know this until actually after I left the house and moved out and saw this doctor. So it was about a two-year period from when I, when I was basically so, so ill before I even found out what was the root cause of it. So functional medicine is root cause medicine. So it looks at the root cause. If you're tired all the time, why are you tired all the time? If you keep getting migraines, why are you getting migraines? You know, traditional Western medicine would say, oh, take some paracetamol. But that's not really finding out what the true reason is. So I found out I had mold poisoning Not only did I have mold poisoning, I also had a parasite. So the same week I moved into the moldy house was the same week I had my first gig in Mexico. I came back from Mexico and I had the worst food poisoning I'd ever had in my entire life for two years. When I went to the functional doctor, one of the questions they asked you is, have you ever had food poisoning in your life? And I was like, yeah. They're like, write down every time. I was like, well, that time in Thailand, that time I went to the Panamanian jungle when I was like 22, whatever. And I was like, there's a lot of these times, you know? And as a Western person, we don't even really think about this, but potentially every time you have food poisoning, you have a parasite. We're not educated in this. You know, indigenous people, people in countries where this is common, they know about this stuff and they do parasite cleanses like once a year, once every six months. But in like UK, I'm not sure what it's like in the US, but it's like, oh no, that would never happen to us. You know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of... yeah. you worm your dog, you worm your cat, you worm your kids. Why not? Why don't you worm yourself, you know? Yeah. A lot of people don't want to talk about it because it's not that sexy, really, is it? But <laughs> I've, like, become so desensitized to this shit. Like, literally, I'll send my friends, like, pictures of things that have come out of me. I'm like, I don't give a shit. So, <laughs> so yeah, it was long. I mean, this, 
this is the long story short turning into the long story. But anyway, so because of that, my immune system was just fucked, basically. Can I swear? It's okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So because of that, loads of other stuff happened and it was been a, it was a very, very long journey getting back to full health. And I got back to full health. I was feeling the best I felt in about eight years. I tried, I did ozone therapy. I did vitamin injections. I had loads of tests done. I found out I also had high levels of heavy metals in my body because my body was unable to like filter itself properly. So any kind of toxins coming in from the environment would just stay in my body. Oh, it wow. makes it makes so much sense. Yeah. So the way I can describe it at the time was like, I felt like I was living in a vat of honey. Like every thought I had, every movement I made was like, like battling through this thick, dense. I, was, I felt like I was drowning from the inside out. Yeah. And I probably was in a way. That's, the, you know what I mean? And within three months of seeing this doctor, this fog just started to slowly lift off my brain, you know? And yeah, so like I said, I was feeling great. I was so happy to like come back to life. And during this time, there was a lot of dark periods where I was like, my life is not worth living if I'm feeling like this every day. You know, I could hardly get out of bed. I had to cancel all my work. I could hardly work. But I had this this part of me that was just like, you're going to get through this. Like you're going to... And also at the time I was living in East London and there was white butterflies everywhere. Like I would always see a white butterfly. Like every time I had a thought, like it's going to be okay, I would see a white butterfly. And that would be my sign, like I'd be okay. Yes. And that was literally every time, like I would just see them everywhere all the time. And I was like, that is giving me hope. That is, you know, my sign that I'm going to, I'm going to get better. And I did. And it was great. And then the C word came along and it brought back a lot of the symptoms that I'd had during that time, which was extremely frustrating because I was like, I thought this was over. I thought I dealt with this, you know, but they say until you've learned the lesson, the the lesson will repeat itself. So I kind of started doing a lot of work into this. Okay, why has this happened again? Like why have all these symptoms come back? I had stomach problems. I had an iron deficiency. I had glandular fever, like all these things that triggered all of this stuff to come back and and just the feeling awful, not being able to do anything. And I was like, okay, there's, there's, a, there's another layer to this. You know, there's got to be another layer to this because this shouldn't have happened again. You know, I was so healthy. I do all the right things. And then I started doing a lot of research into the nervous system and trauma. And this is where I think it feeds into the music industry and addiction. Because actually most people who are addicted is because of unresolved trauma. And, you know, I would say most people in life have some unresolved trauma. You know, I don't think many many people in the world could get through living a human life without unresolved trauma, really. And I think especially in, you know, the dance music scene, a lot of people are drawn to it with, you know, with addictions. And that's probably because of this, I would say, you know. So I did a lot of research into that. And I've started doing a really amazing course with this great woman who's a breathwork coach. And it's all about healing your nervous system, breathwork, tantra, like all combined. So I feel like for me, the root cause underlying all of this is actually healing my nervous system because for whatever reason, it became so sensitive that when stresses happen, be them physical or mental, my body's like, if there's too many at once, it can't cope, you know? And I think that is the key to everything as well as doing the other things. You know, you still got to eat healthy. You still got to exercise. You still got to do your meditation and stuff, but healing the nervous system, I think is the root cause to everything else. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think just digging a little deeper and listening to your body, always listening to your body and what's going on, even though you go to the doctor or specialist and maybe it's more Western medicine and like they just give you pills. Oh, you're just depressed. It's nothing or whatever, but really, you know yourself. So you really have to listen to your body and sometimes turn to traditional Chinese medicine, which I also am a strong believer in, in the holistic methods, but it's incredible. It's, it's this your whole story. <laughs> You've come out the other side. And but something I do want to talk about is through the pandemic and through having, I guess you would call it, you had like a long COVID, I guess, right? That's what you would call it. But I think that's just another label for something else, really. It's like, right. okay, that's triggered something else to be reactivated or, you know, something happens. And it's like, you know, it's like they told me eventually as well during the time I told you about, they said I had chronic fatigue syndrome. I never yes. once experienced I was like, no, I don't have that because I don't have chronic fatigue syndrome. I am chronically fatigued because there's something wrong with me. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. Because there's something else here. Long COVID is not long COVID. Long COVID is something else that's been triggered by this thing that's brought something else to the surface. Yes. It's become just like the easy band-aid label. Like, oh, you have long COVID, but they're not really going and digging deeper to see what is really wrong here. Yeah, actually a lot of research now, which is saying most cases of, of chronic fatigue and long COVID is actually Epstein-Barr virus reactivation, which is gland, it's called glandular fever in the UK. It's called Epstein-Barr virus in, in the US. And okay. that is, I think, key because I think most people do carry that. And if there is any kind of huge stress on your body, that can be reactivated. So also adrenal fatigue. I don't know if you've heard of adrenal fatigue. So adrenal fatigue, again, is something that is kind of questioned by Western medicine, but it's like where your glands are producing so much adrenaline and cortisol to keep you going because you're stressed and because, uh, because there's something when you run out and then you're just... And then you burn so that's out. Like a, mm. But now there's been just more research that's saying actually adrenal fatigue isn't the right answer. That's another la- There's another layer to that and that's actually a sign of something. You know, it's like always digging deeper, always getting to this new thing and there's... There's so much new research coming out that it's like, it's hard to even keep up with it as, you know, all these doctors, the functional doctors, they can implement this stuff as it comes out. The Western doctors have so much bureaucracy and red tape. It can take 20 to 30 years for this new research to filter down to their level. So no wonder they're not educated in this stuff. Yeah. For sure. So something I want to talk about is kind of the transformation that you experienced throughout the pandemic. Um, I feel like many of us had life-changing things happening in our lives where there was like a silver lining. Of course, it was terrible. We all experienced this global pandemic, but at the same time, it maybe pushes out of our comfort zones, you know, creating new projects, studying a new course, moving to a new country, whatever it might be. What was your experience? And how deep did it go for you? And can you tell us a little bit more about, well, what you told me about your Vipsana experience and like where it took you? Yeah. So I think I was living in in London in an amazing apartment uh, with my friend when it happened and she's German. She went back to Germany and I was basically on my own in my apartment for about four or five months. Wow. All my work's been canceled. I can't leave the house. I'm just going to do yoga meditation every day. That was kind of my coping mechanism and I kept my phone off till like 4 or 5 p.m. every day and I'm hardly speaking to anybody. And I think I needed to go through that because I didn't even realize how exhausted I was until I stopped. And I was like, okay, yeah, still a bit exhausted. Even though I'd overcome all this stuff, I was still kind of on the grind and, you know, 
think I just needed a bit of a break and I kind of just turned it into my own yoga retreat at home. And I was microdosing mushrooms a little bit as well. And I, I was journaling. I've probably got like so like four or five journals from this period that I would normally spend like a year filling up. And it was just like writing, 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 asking myself questions and getting the answers. And it was like going through 10 years of therapy, I think, in like a month where I was just yeah. on these like asking myself the right questions, getting the answers. And yeah, it was just a very powerful time. I also felt like because there wasn't any external stimuli, I was so clear and I just felt like a pure channel, you know. I was just like, I felt so clean and I felt so just pure, if that makes sense. And yeah. I was getting all these, all these intuitions and these downloads and I was like, and then I got this message like, you need to move to Ibiza and you need to write a book. So <laughs> wow. I haven't quite wrote the book yet, but my friend Naomi has a really good way of thinking about this because when I started my label... I felt really bad because I had the idea to do it. And then it took me like two years to actually do it. And I was saying to her, well, maybe I need to act on my intuition quicker because I have all these ideas and I don't act on them. You know, she's like, yeah, but the thing is you get the intuition, the person, you know, where that message is coming from, they're giving you that message with enough time to plant that seed so that it will happen at the right time. Hmm. And I was like, yeah, much better way of looking at it. Actually, that is a much better way of looking at it. So I did start work and I kind of have put that on hold now because I feel like I want to focus back on music and making music and doing that kind of stuff and DJing. So at some point I probably will finish it, but at the yeah. moment it's not like, and I'm not yeah. putting pressure on this. No. And that's, that's the nice thing. It's like, it's your project. So you're not being uh, pressured by like a publisher, et cetera, right now, or somebody like in, an editor, um, on your case, like you can just do it when you're feeling inspired to do it and also focus on your music. And, you know, it's funny. I feel like I kind of had a similar experience just when we were in the thick of the pandemic. I remember telling myself I was going to just treat it as if like when we were all, like we were all stuck at home, I was like treating it like I was living at a retreat. Like I would wake up and I would do yoga. And then eventually, because the gym was closed in my building, I was like, okay, I'm going to start uh, going out for runs by the lake, which it literally took me, <laughs> I lived there for like nine years and I never went for a run on the lake, but it's like crazy that it took a pandemic to push me out there. And I was like, why hadn't I been here before? I don't know. It's so crazy. You just have different perspective and, you know, and just realizing what's important, feeling kind of my best self and realizing mm -hmm. I was, I was burnt out. And then I realized, wow. And now coming back into the pace of work life again, now that a lot of things are opening up again, work is resuming. I'm also trying to keep the same mentality of having like a morning ritual or doing something for myself each day, some kind of movement, something, because I think we get too caught up in like just getting up and like racing to the computer and like, oh, I have a meeting or I have to do this. And mm -hmm. because it doesn't set the tone for your day and you need to do that. And I, I know I needed that. And I'm realizing it's just like, I'm learning from my own experience and my, I'm like teaching myself like slow down, do what you got to do first, because then I can put out my best work, you know, and just be, be there for my loved ones. <laughs> you know, it makes so much sense. I think, you know, you have to, you have to fill up your own cup first, but yeah, it makes sense. And I, I tried to do that as well. One of the things I kept from that ritual was like, I keep my phone off now until I, between like 11 and two most days. If I have to be online for something, obviously I'll turn it on, but I'll try and keep it off for like as long as possible in the morning. If I have to go and log on and do some emails, I can do that with my phone off, you know? Um, and that really, really helpful. And I really noticed the days I don't do that, I feel a bit more. Yeah. Whatever the word. 
<laughs> yeah, just taking a time out. I, I sometimes when I'm like, no, I just need to focus. Phone goes in like the other room on silent and then I just leave it. I'm like, wow, I was so productive today. <laughs> yeah. so something's, something's happening there. <laughs> yeah, I make music as well. Like this is one of the things I teach. I'm doing a music production course. So on that, I'm like phones off when you're making music, put them on airplane mode. Like they do not need to be on. And also like the amount of studios I go to where they've got the computer and it's like, what's that Facebook? And I'm like, what the, how are you making music with this? I'm like, you know, turn off. Like, Those are all the major distractions up on the screen. No. <laughs> yeah, you literally be about to make the best track in the world and then someone messages you something and it distracts you. And, you and then you lose that. Yeah, no, no, that's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Well, something that you did mention to me before when we were chatting is something called the medicine wheel which is oh, a Peruvian yeah. tool, a Peruvian tool for life. So can you share with our listeners more about this and what it's all about and what did you take away from it and how do you apply it to your yeah. life? <laughs> I, did, I did do some stuff in the pandemic, actually. Yeah, I kind of made it sound like I didn't do a lot, but I actually, looking back, I did a lot more than I thought I did. So it was interesting. The January before that, I woke up in the middle of the night one night and this it was like, I can hardly even describe it, like a red presence just came and said to me, the medicine wheel. And I was like, what? Went back to sleep. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? And the next day I called my friend Jess because I remembered she did a course called the medicine wheel. And I was like, hey, I just had this thing happen to me. Like, what do you think? She's like, I'm not even going to tell you what it is. Just do the course. And I was like, okay, cool. And my housemate, Marin, at the time, I told her, I showed her the course. And she was like, oh my God, I want to do it too. And it was supposed to be in person in Hackney where we were living at the time. But then because of went on it went online which was actually perfect because I ended up moving to Ibiza and she ended up moving to Germany and we could still do it together so basically the the medicine wheel is not just a Peruvian tool it's a a lot of countries have it like there's some in Asia there's a lot in South America but each one has their own interpretation of it so I've the Cuero one which is the Peruvian one so it's kind of hard to explain like it really is hard to explain but basically it's like a shamanic tool for living and it's kind of like a guide for life. So you have the directions, you have the seven directions, you have north, south, east, west, above, below, and your heart. So the north, oh, it starts in the south because you're in Peru. So the south is the serpent, which is in, it's kind of, I don't know what the word is. I don't know, not like embodying, but it, I suppose it is embodying, but it's kind of in, inspired by the serpent. So the south, you can the energy of the south and the serpent, and that's like moving through life shedding your skin, letting go of the past, moving through quickly. So you have north, south, east. So was it north, south, east, west? So then you have have the west. West is the the jaguar. And that implies knowing yourself, knowing when to rest, knowing when to take action, knowing what your boundaries are. And you have the north, which is the hummingbird. And the hummingbird represents, you know, just believing yourself you know they flap their wings so quickly and they fly so high and they believe in themselves and they don't get bogged down by shit they believe they can do it they just go for it you know and then the east is the eagle so the eagle represents you know soaring above everything and viewing life from a higher perspective and like looking at things from a higher level and then you have obviously the universe great spirit god whatever you want to call it you know the moon the stars the sky and then you have the uh, the stone people, the the plants, the animals, the humans, and then you have your heart and your intuition. So what you would actually do 
is it's kind of like it's like a shamanic ceremony so you basically you you clear the space by maybe saging the space you call in the directions you call in the animals you call in you know the spirits your ancestors whatever you want to call in and it's almost like you're protecting that space for whatever action that you want to do in that moment so it could be you know a shaman might use that in a plant medicine ceremony but you could use it for doing a full moon ceremony or just to make music even to kind of set the tone and set the space for what you want to do. And it's just kind of like you call on this, this inspiration for areas of life. So if you're feeling stuck, you can be like, okay, I'm going to call on the hummingbird to help me just rise above these challenges. Or I'm going to call on the eagle to help me do this from a higher perspective. Do what I mean? Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, no, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cause I try to, sometimes you try and explain to people and they're just like, what? <laughs> but yeah, it's, it was And I can't remember how long the course was. It was maybe like three to six months. And there's also like a higher level of it as well. And I cannot fault this course. It was a beautiful, amazing course. But one thing I would actually say is at the end of the course, they were like, oh, you're all shaman now. And I was like, no, I don't. That doesn't, that part of it doesn't resonate with me. I don't believe I could say that about myself after doing an online course for three months. No, because yeah. You know, I have actually spent time with indigenous tribes from the Amazon, from Peru and Brazil, like the Hunipun, who I love. And, you know, I can see their wisdom has been passed down through thousands and thousands of years of generations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're sh- they are trained for 15 to 20 years before they even get that title and before they're able to hold space for people. Yeah. And I was talking to my dad, you know, my friend Abby, the one I told you about who was talking about the, the, perspective, the perspective on things. And it's like, you know, there's a worrying trend at the moment. A lot, I see it in Ibiza, I see it in Europe. I, I'm assuming it's the same in, the, you know, the US. I see it in, like, in the Mexico, where people are calling themselves shaman and perhaps coming at it from a, from a good place, you know, and wanting to help people and wanting to help themselves, but they're not adequately trained in the things that they're doing and that's actually causing harm to the people that are going to those events and themselves and this is worrying I don't doubt it but it's it's a really interesting point no it is it's just like a lot of people that are putting on the front that they are shamans or there's like the fake spirituality where oh I can heal you or just look at the you know the scammer spirituality where people think they're going Mm. to some retreat they're going to be healed and they're shamans Mm. in quotes but they're not they're just maybe somebody who just calls themselves a shaman or yeah. they're taking a course for two weeks that's not and I think you know there are the out there who are doing it from a really horrible place but yeah also people get from a good place because they genuinely do believe they're helping and they genuinely do believe that they they're doing the right thing but I think I think it's a very dangerous thing because you know I see people that are doing you know they're not looking after their energy properly they're having you know really like I don't know like really gross casual sex like I have nothing against casual sex but you know if you're doing that kind of work you have to protect your energy you know you have to protect your energy and I see people doing like cocaine and drinking alcohol and eating sugar and I'm not saying like these things aren't inherently bad on their own but if you are holding space for other people your energy to be in such a clean and pure place and this is why you do these dieters for like you know a year sometimes they'll do like no sex for a year or no, you know, they'll do these diets of like no alcohol, no sugar, no drugs, no sex, no masturbation, so that they are in a place of purity for the people that they are holding space for. And I think a lot of the Western people aren't capable of doing that. And that's fine. You know, that's fine. Like I'm not judging anyone, but 
don't be going and holding space for people if you're not looking after your own energy. And that's really, really important. I think mm-hmm. that's a really important thing. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I was just going to say a lot of people on the course are amazing and they are doing yeah. these things beautifully and they do them with great intentions. But I've seen other people who I don't believe should be doing that. And it's like, I know I don't want to judge and maybe that is part of their journey, but I just, I find it worrying that, you know, some people don't have the level of intuition and discernment. They choose their shamans wisely and they're going to these people with good intentions who have good intentions, but actually the effects can be negative. And that's quite concerning Yeah, because they're going killed and they're actually coming back with more shit than they went. Exactly. It's, yeah, it's like a, it's like toxic shamanism or something where people are going to seek, seek, seek help but in the end they're worse than they were when they're done yeah yeah also kind of maybe this has to happen maybe this is part of the journey maybe this is part of the process to coming out the other side you know people are wanting to help and wanting to heal that perhaps 10 years ago wouldn't have even wanted to do that do you know what I mean so maybe mm-hmm. it's part of the thing but it's still it's just a bit icky yeah I don't like it icky <laughs> Uh, so I do want to talk about the spiritual level spectrum and the many deep layers of this one. So where do you think you are on this spectrum and how can others tap into this to help elevate their life? I don't really like thinking of it in that way. I don't really like thinking of it as levels because I think that implies hierarchy and it's kind of saying, oh, you're below me or I'm above you. And I don't really like that. The way I like to think of it is more, it's a circle. It's like a spi- it's a spiral or it's a circle. You know, they call yes. it the layers of the... You know, another friend of mine has this amazing theory, which I think is so true, is, which is like everything is a circle. Yes. You know, the circle. There's no left, there's no right. There is left and right, but it's not left over here, right over here. It's a circle. Do you see what I, I mean? Like it. And it's the same. It's just like I said, I had these three defining moments of my life, you know, first with the mental health kind of wake up call, then secondly with the physical health, then thirdly with the physical health again, because it was like, came back. So it's like, if you were to speak about it on levels, it would be up, down, up, down, up, down. But I don't think it is up, down, up, down. I think it's more round and round or even like a spiral, you know, and it's like it feels up and down, but actually it is more round and round because every time you're learning new lessons and you're improving, but you might have to go back down to come back up again, if that makes sense. And yeah. Like you said about toxic shamanism, there's also like this toxic spirituality where I think, People just want to be, oh, love and light and positive vibes always. But that's not, you know, it goes through. You know, everybody has good and bad times. Everyone, you know, I think that's part of the human experience. And I think it's it's about time that we normalize both those things. You know, being truly connected to your heart and truly connected to intuition and truly connected to life, you're going to feel good things and bad things. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. You know, even if you say, like, that's fine. You don't have to always, there There normally is a message in everything, but you could just have a shit day and just accept that and be like, do you know what? I've had a shit day. Yeah. That's let fine. yourself cry about it. Have a minute. And then the next day is a new, a new day. And then you can get up and just like choose your energy for the day. Maybe just like, you know, set the tone for yourself first. <laughs> no, I have to be positive all the time. And it's like, that's fine. But also allow it that sounds to exhausting to also try to be positive all the time when maybe that's not how you feel yeah. in the moment like if exactly. something is but annoying <laughs> I think it's about where you are but also learning from the situations you're in to improve and grow so yeah layers of an onion 
in that way. Yeah, it's like <laughs> the, the circle is a spiral. It's a, it's an onion. That's like how I like to think of it. And yes, I think all, been on all these different levels of life. You know, I've been like to these ecstatic states of like walking around and joy and bliss. And I've been to the depths of fucking hell where I've been like, is it even worth living right now? You know? And yeah. I think a lot of the people I know who are the happiest have been to those places because it's almost like you have to go one way to come back the other way. And yes. I felt that and feel equally as high. You just have to get through and you will get through it. And you will get through it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I know you're into Tantra, which often isn't what people think it is. So can you tell us a little bit more about what it means to you? Yeah, I think um, for me as well, like there's lots of different types of Tantra. So there's like red Tantra, white Tantra, gold Tantra. And I think, you know, the red Tantra is very much like we're going to have a conscious sex party and it will be polyamorous. And like that kind of Tantra doesn't really fully resonate with me. For me, it's more about the energetic Tantra. So it's kind of almost about your relationship to yourself and everything around you. It's not really just about sex. And I might be wrong about the red tantra. Sorry, any red tantras listening, and that's not what it's about. That's just my limited perception of it. But I think for me personally, I, you know, I would like to be in a committed monogamous relationship, and I'm not ashamed to say that. I think, you know, I think a lot of my friends are polyamorous relationships, and that's fine. They love that, and it really, really works for them, and that's great. But for me personally, I feel like, I'm being called to be more in that. And I think I'm happy being single. I'm happy being on my own. And Tantra isn't just about sex. Like for me, sex is probably 10, 20% of it. But I think most people's perception of it is that it's about sex. But it's more about how you relate to life and how you relate to yourself and your intentions behind things. So, you know, if you go out and you meet an amazing person and you have this beautiful connection and you have this amazing night together and it's beautiful and it feels loving and it feels nourishing and it feels joyful. That's beautiful. You know, that's tantric without even trying to be tantric because the intention behind it is expansive. So for me, tantra is about your, your, your intention behind any action that you do. Right. Even like, I don't know, like walking down the street, doing the washing up, that can be tantric. If yeah. you do it with the right intention. It's, yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's my goal is to live a tantric life and to, you know, to act as much as I can from that, that place. But obviously I don't do that all the time. You know, I fall off of it sometimes. That's also fine. You know, it's just about noticing that and going, oh, I did that from that place, but actually I prefer to be in this place. So I'm just going to realize that and be like, okay, next time I'll make a better decision which I do think is much easier that I don't drink, to be fair. <laughs> if I still drunk, I might not be saying it. But yeah, it's, I think it's a lot easier to not make those kind of decisions as somebody who doesn't drink. Maybe, I don't know, I feel like I shouldn't change that answer as well because I feel like it sounds a bit derogatory to polyamorous people. Oh. There's a lot of polyamorous Do you think? I didn't think it's Maybe something. just take that. I can, you want me yeah. to cut that out? Maybe cut that bit out. Said do you want to re? Do you want to rephrase this? I think want- cut out. I think just cut out the bit about polyamorous and monogamous relationship because I feel like that's okay. take that bit out. Sure. I feel I like, just- but then the, the answer will still make sense if you take yeah, that bit out. I they're gone. Okay, we can continue. Okay. I think right. the answer was a lot of sense even if you take that bit out. Okay. Yeah. Because I can just yeah. say about. Red tantra, gold tantra, white tantra. But because tantra, the main point was about the energy and the intention of doing things with intention, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah, I think that's probably a better thing. Just, yeah. This, I feel like there's this thing in the music industry at the moment where it's like, 
you say one thing and it's like it gets blown. <laughs> <laughs> um, like yeah, I don't have any friends that are poly. I don't think. Oh, I do. I have a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just not for me. I need my. I like my man to myself. <laughs> I'm just like. I'm a Taurus. I'm not sharing you. <laughs> oh, and it's like, like ethical non-monogamy, ethical non-monogamy. And I'm just like, no. And the problem is a lot of guys, there are a lot of guys who are this spiritual. Oh, uh, like, you- yeah, 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 saying, yeah. I'm open. I'm fluid. Like, or whatever. No, but they're actually, they're trying <laughs> to use the camera yeah. as a, for being a slut or in like and, having a three-way or but it's like not even that just girls like objects and it's like the whole point of being spiritual is to do things with the right intention and yeah you know i know some guys especially in ibiza who like use the umbrella as a justification for slutty behavior when actually yeah. it's, it's done in the right way it's beautiful it's nourishing it's supportive and it's it's very communicative and loving so yeah it sounds like living in a lifestyle or consciously and in a tantrum mentality is about living with intention and doing things from a place of intention, whether it's something as like how you're going to make your breakfast in the morning to, you know, a conversation that you might have with someone later, uh, you know, in the day at a restaurant and maybe that conversation and the energy is so nice and you're really enjoying that person's uh, presence. It's not about the one night stand or, you know, those messy situations, but it just sounds it like could- Tantra is more than, I think, I think from like a lot of people listening and even just myself, I don't know too much about Tantra, but all I know is like Tantric sex and how it's like connecting yeah. with your partner and just yeah. from what I, whatever I've heard or seen in the social media, just like, you know, slowly connecting with your partner, uh, which in the end it's, it's pleasurable and it's slow and yeah. that's all I really know, but you know. There seems like to be said, much more to this. <laughs> I think, you know, like you said, like I said, you know, you could have a tantric one night stand, but you could also have a seedy, awful one night stand. Do you know what I mean? It's about the intention and the energy that goes behind it. And I think, you know, tantric sex is a small part of time, but it's like, you know, it's about setting that scene, making that time to be with your partner, you know, talking about consent, talking about boundaries, talking about what you like or what they like, and just feeling the energy and, you know, not having this like end goal of like, this has to happen or this has to happen. Just like really just doing what feels right in that moment. You know, it's not about, it's about just enjoying each other's energy and enjoying that moment. There's loads more to that too. You can go down the whole, like you can go to the whole, like holding your ejaculation stuff. And that's like advanced tantra stuff like that. But, you know, I think as a starting point, it's just about enjoying energy and making that time to just really be with each other and, you know, not have any, like the making music and turning your phone off, you know, it's the same thing, isn't it really? Make time truly present. Focus on the one thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to three days and do it, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. Speaking of intention, what are some of your favorite spiritual rituals that you like to do each day? Well, it's really interesting actually, because I, like I said, I got into this habit of like, I couldn't leave the house without doing my journaling, my gratitude, my yoga, my meditation. But actually recently now life's got a lot more busy. I'm having to like do less of that. And like, I've had to kind of retrain myself to be actually, it's okay to sometimes not do it. 
you know? Yeah. And I think having years of doing it was really, really great, but now I'm not putting as much pressure on myself to do it. But obviously when I do do it, I do feel a lot better. So yeah, it's just about, bal- yeah. it's about balance. A gratitude journal I try and write in. It used to be daily. Now it's maybe like once or twice a week. I did. I used to do a lot of journaling. I'm not doing as much anymore, but you know, I still love meditation. I still love yoga. And um, I started skipping as well because it's really good for the lymphatic system. And yeah, I think I do like to do like new moon ceremonies and full moon ceremonies. And I do, I very occasionally do like plant medicine and cambo. And I think going back to what we were talking about earlier, like, you know, these tools are supposed to be tools. And I think a lot of people can actually replace their addictions with these things. So that's also something to kind of watch as well, because if you're going to ayahuasca ceremonies every single weekend and you're not part of the Santa Daime, who that's part of their religion, but if you're just doing that, you're still obviously searching for something outside of yourself. And these, these medicines are brought here to hopefully give us the answers that we need inside, you know? And I think eventually, hopefully you'll get to a point where you feel like you don't even need them anymore. Or maybe you do it once a year or once every five years or whatever. But I think, you know, they're, they're so beautiful if they're used respectfully and correctly. But I think, again, a lot of people are using them like an addiction from the wrong place. So it's like they're replacing another drug with that, even though it's not a drug, it's a healing medicine, but it has to be used in the right way with the right intention. I exactly. think that's really important. Yeah. The plant medicine kind of like, I want to, I don't want to really call it a craze, but like, you know, you're hearing a lot of people taking off to Peru or the Amazon to do and discover these plant medicines. But there are people doing it with intention and seeking answers. But then there are people, you know, replacing addictions with this new outlet. So there's a fine line there. There is a fine line. Like what I said earlier, maybe that is, maybe that does need to happen. Maybe that's part of their journey to the lesson they need to learn to then get to a place of doing it with them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or maybe it takes them to the wrong the wrong kind of trip and, you know, too many times. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you actually have a five week music production masterclass coming up called Find Your Own Sound, which will be available on October 4th. So can you share with us the intention behind this project and what can people expect from this course? Yeah. So um, always alongside my DJing, I occasionally did some teaching. I taught at Point Blank Music School, Beats Learning Music Schools in London. And when I had my studio in London, I would have people come in and I would help them with their tracks. And one thing I would always say, I would not do it for you. I don't agree with ghostwriting. I don't agree with engineering because I think if you're putting out a record, you should at least made that record. You know, I don't agree with people putting their name to music that other people have made. So what I say is it's like, you know, give a man a fish, feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, feed him forever. Yes. So <laughs> I had people coming to me in the studio before I moved to Ibiza and I was noticing everybody needed to learn the same thing. So everyone that was struggling with their music was having the problems in the same areas and I was just teaching the same stuff over and over again and I thought, well, actually... I could put this into a five-week course because it's EQ, mixing, arrangement, sampling, like all these things. If you understand these things and how to do them well and learn how to be unique and original to yourself, that is what you need to do. So it's kind of in two parts, I suppose. It's like the technical side of things, like the things I just mentioned, but then also 
the Find Your Own sound is named after my record label, Find Your Own Records. And Find Your Own sound is about finding what's your unique thing, you know, that you can give to the world. And it's actually a lot easier than most people think. So, you know, it's just about really just being true to yourself and how to get into that state where you're able to listen to your intuition and listen to your heart and just be you. Because if you're being you, that's just you. You can't really recreate that. Nobody else can because it's you. Yeah. <laughs> and I think overcomplicate that, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's partly about learning the techniques and tools to improve your music, to get it sounding more professional. But then it's also about getting to that place of just being true to yourself and being you and being unique, because then you will be unique without even having to try to be unique. If that yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you're trying to help artists find and carve out their sound because I think maybe it's overwhelming as an up and coming artist, perhaps if you don't know your sound and you're trying to figure that yeah. out, where do I start? And I mean, I guess you could guide them on that journey. Yeah. <laughs> people that are already making music, but they kind of, they've gotten to like a certain level and they don't know how to get past it. Yeah. So it's those people and it's, it's non-DAW specific, which means you can do it using any program because once you've got to that level, the techniques you're using are the same really, whichever program you're using. And it's not genre specific either because I'm teaching you how to make your own sound. So I've had a lot of people, I've had house, I've had techno, I've had like shamanic music, medicine music people, I've had you know, a lot of different people on it. I mean, most of the demonstrations I give will be with house and techno because that's what I make and release. But the techniques can actually be applied to any genre. So that's really, really interesting because I think not many courses out there are actually non-DAW specific. Most of them are like, oh, it's an able to book. It's a logic course. Whereas this course is for any anyone using any program because the techniques, as I said, can be applied to any program. Um, and also I've had a lot of requests for people to do a beginner's course as well. So I also ran a beginner's course in Ibiza and I'm going to do another one in London in September. And then I'm also going to do another one in Ibiza in October. So okay. yeah, any beginners well that need to start, but that is actually in logic because as a beginner, you need to learn a program well to then get to that next level. So that okay. is... Specific. Okay, well, everyone listening, if there's anyone interested, I will definitely link, uh, I will link in this episode... Um, directly to Carrie's courses and you can check them out if you're interested. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to get to this part of the podcast. Can you share with us one or two muses in your life that you'd love to give a shout out to? Oh, I guess I'd have to say Mr. G and Fred P because they are two of my favorite producers of all time who also happen to be the first two remixes on my label. Ah. But then I would add another two as well, if I'm allowed. Yeah. <laughs> Which would be K-Hand and Move D. Uh, sadly, K-Hand passed away just over yes. a year ago. So that was really sad. And, you know, she was such a pioneer of music. You know, she was she was crowned the first lady of Detroit and she has always been a huge, huge musical inspiration for me. And I think, you know, at the time when she first started, she was she didn't want people to know she was a woman. So that's why she called herself K-Han. She was a producer and she kind of was hiding behind the scenes a little bit. And I think she should have been like bigger than Derek May. You know, she was so prolific and so amazing, but she almost kind of kept herself behind the scenes a little bit then. And I think, you know, luckily she has kind of been given the recognition she deserves, like being named the first lady of Detroit. Um, and, And sadly she passed away shortly after that. So I think, 
you know, her legacy lives on through her amazing music. You know, I think a lot more would have come from her had she stayed. And, and, you know, it was actually, she had, she had some health issues as well, which she didn't really want to talk about. And I think there's still the stigma attached, you know, talking about these things, as she said. And it's sad because I think, you know, if she had spoken out about it a bit more, she might have got more help that she needed and she wouldn't, you know, she would still be here now. So it's quite sad. And, you know, she actually didn't do the third remix on the label. And that's why I've had such a gap in the releases because I was just like I don't know what, what else to do like I feel like I can't fill that hole you know yeah uh, but then he has actually said he will do it so he's another one of my biggest inspirations and he's invited me to play with him at Phonox in London in September as well which I'm really really excited about so you know to have the support from people like that who I've been following and being inspired by for so many years it's just it's just so amazing actually I posted about this on Instagram but a few years ago, I was feeling really down. I was like, should I even do music anymore? Maybe I need to get a proper job. You know, I was feeling really like dis- disheartened with everything. You know, we all have those moments, you know, on the good and the bad. And I just asked the universe for a sign. I was like, universe, I need a sign. Please give me a sign. Went to bed, woke up the next day. And bearing in mind, I'd said Move D this record like probably six months before. I woke up the next day and Move D just went live on Facebook playing my record. And saying how much he loved it. Oh like, my god! <laughs> Maybe this is a universe. That's a sign for sure. <laughs> yeah, I have all of them because they're, you know, they're all such true inspirations to me, and I'm just very lucky to have actually then connected with them and been able to kind of share musically with them. So yeah, to all of those four. Ah, oh, that was lovely. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so. We're going to get to the follow your bliss finale question. Can you share one positive affirmation with our listeners? I think I was going to say, I love you, but actually, I think I want to say, know thyself. Because as I was saying earlier, you know, you need to be able to know your own mind and know your own body to know and distinguish between what's going on to be able to make the changes and improvements that you need to make if you do need to make some. So yeah. I think I'll go with that. Okay, we'll, we'll take it. <laughs> someone else was that who said it? Know thyself. Someone said it. Someone famous. I can't remember who. Oh, so I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, know thyself. <laughs> some famous guru said it, but I'm going to say it too. <laughs> We can use it today. Okay, well, Carrie, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and sharing your insights, inspirations, and your story. And we look forward to watching your journey as we continue to, you know, keep an eye on you on Instagram, where you're at. And yeah, it was such a pleasure. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Lovely to connect with you. Yes, talk soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs>